0: Well, good morning, everybody. It's the second day. No, check that. It's the first day of March. I'll get it right. 2021. Welcome to a Monday morning wake-up call here on Sports Country Radio. First of March, and uh, the good news was on the last day of February, we had the sound of bats and balls and games being played across Florida and Arizona, and uh, thank God there was actually some baseball on television. I didn't watch a lot of it yesterday. It's the first spring training game, and you know we can't get too excited about that. But I will admit I'm somewhat excited about that. Uh, the Red Sox opened up their spring training season yesterday. They, their game today will be on television. Yesterday's game was not televised, but uh, they play today at 1 o'clock. And the game will be on Nesson. So if uh, you are so inclined... Uh, a chance to, uh, to watch the guys play yesterday's game from all accounts. I mean, we can only go based on, uh, the written reports by Pete Abraham and some others that were there and the box score by all accounts, it was not a pretty game. And there's some odd rules this spring, uh, where games are at least early in the season are only going to be seven innings. They can be as short as five innings, uh, If your pitchers have thrown 20 pitches in an inning, you can actually throw up the white flag and say, uh, uh, we don't want to play anymore (laughs) this inning. The game's over. Uh, Crazy stuff. I mean, and that happened to the Red Sox yesterday. Um, In the second inning, Nate DeValdi got the the start yesterday, and in the second inning, he got whacked around a little bit. He gave up five runs, or the Sox gave up five runs overall in a 35-pitch inning. Um and finally after uh, Miguel Sano hit a double uh Alex Cora said no mass and the inning was over. It's just weird. Um but that's what it's going to be like, you know, uh, and they said uh, once the spring goes on about midway through spring games are going to go back to being 9 innings, but for now you know and, and I guess they're using the pandemic as the excuse for this because a lot of these young kids didn't pitch at all last year because the minor leagues were shut down. So you don't want to overdo it, but, uh, you know, whatever. Again, at the end of the day, uh, as Pete Abraham said, you know, stats or or standings anyway in uh, spring training are meaningless. They're going to be even more meaningless this year. He actually said this story. He says, good luck to anybody bringing a scorebook. You know, because they, the other thing that was weird yesterday is even though Minnesota was the home team and they were, they were winning, they played the bottom of the seventh. Now, normally, obviously they wouldn't do that because the twins were the go ahead, you know, were ahead, but, uh, Alex Cora wanted to get another one of his young pitchers out. So Caleb Ort came out and pitched the seventh inning, uh, even though they wouldn't normally have done that. And, you know, Ort did okay, pitched a scoreless inning. So... Uh, but anyway, Evaldi started, you know, went an inning and a third, threw a bunch of pitches, 38 pitches, only 23 for strikes. Struck out a couple of guys, walked one, hit a guy, uh, but hit 99 on the radar gun. So uh, he looks like he's he's ready to roll already. Uh, Red Sox threw out six other pitchers, none of which you could pick out of a lineup. Uh, Minnesota, uh, Devin Smeltzer got the start, pitched the first couple of innings. And, again, it, it, the games don't mean squat it's just nice to, to have it happen again uh, there were about uh, 20 2200 people at the game which is 2200 more people that were at any Red Sox game all of last year so matter of fact nativevaldi talked about it yesterday after the game he said he was pumped up one of the reasons he didn't he thinks he got whacked around a little bit was because he was too amped up You know, he said he was excited. He said, you know, pitching in front of fans for the first time, actually, you know, for the first time since 2019, you know, was part of that. He said, you know, I got to the ballpark and there were actually, you know, a line of cars waiting to get into the ballpark. You know, it's something he hasn't seen in a while. So uh, Kike Hernandez hit leadoff for the Red Sox yesterday. Don't know whether that's going to be a regular thing or not. Uh, Alex Verdugo did not play in the game yesterday, so it may just have been that. Uh, Verdugo was their leadoff guy quite often last year. Uh, Kike is not a great on-base percentage guy throughout his career. You wouldn't think that would be normal, but who knows? Uh, you know, he but he was one for two, made an error on a double play. Uh, one good thing to see yesterday: Jeter Downs, uh, a couple of the you know uh, one of the young kids uh, they got in that deal for Mookie Betts went two for two, drove in three runs. Uh, uh, The young catcher, uh, Wong, another one of the kids they got from the Dodgers in that trade, uh, played yesterday, went one for two. Bobby Dalbeck, the young kid that they're going to hand first base to, at least at the start of the season, had a home run. So, you know, there were some good things to see, but, again, game number one. Uh, Game number two, as we said uh, this afternoon, 1 o'clock. On Nesson if you are so inclined, the Yankees also opened up their spring training yesterday against the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays won the game six to four. But again, who cares? Uh, it, again, it was just nice to see people get out there. As far as the Yankees go, uh, they didn't throw out really any of their regulars on the mound. Some of the regulars got in the game. Aaron Judge played. Uh, LeMahieu played. Uh, Luke Voigt, Gary Sanchez. Sanchez trying to bounce back from that horrific year they had last year. Um, But he only played designated hitter. They had uh, Robinson Chirinos started at catcher uh, as they try to figure out who their backup catcher is going to be this year. Uh, Taukman hit a a mammoth home run. I actually was watching uh, the game when uh, he ripped one down the uh, right field line. So, uh, you know, but again, means absolutely nothing. But here's we talked about this a little bit last week on Friday. Um, and I heard from my college roommate, Tom Gentile, um, yesterday. And he said, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know what you got planned. Um, but you know, one of the things you may think about is that, that, uh, what they're doing down here as far as ticket prices go. And I mentioned that, uh, I know somebody that is going down to Florida and was looking into tickets at Red Sox games and, you know, with them only allowing 2,200 people, tickets are going for a couple of hundred bucks to sit in a seat. I mean, that's just crazy for a spring training game that means bupkis. Uh, well, Tom was telling me yesterday he looked into going to a Yankee game uh, yesterday and tickets for standing room, just to stand, not even to sit in a seat, was 50 bucks. For a spring training game, that is ludicrous. Now, look, I know, I know that everybody lost a lot of money last year with spring training being cut short and and uh, you know no fans in the seats. But good God, I hope you know. And and I I don't know. I haven't seen it. You know, I haven't. I I don't think the tickets have actually gone on sale yet for Fenway. I'm going to be very curious. If they jack the prices up into the hundreds of dollars to go to a game just because it's going to be 20% capacity or whatever the hell it's going to be, that's, I hope to hell they don't do that because I just think that's tone deaf. you got people struggling you know, to uh, make ends meet. Some, a lot of people with losing jobs or losing some of their income during this whole thing just would be stupid. But, yeah, T- Tom said that it was 50 bucks for a standing room seat. Or, well, it's not a seat. It's standing room. I mean, that's crazy. Um, you know, look, a- and, and I-, I get that teams are going to want to make up that revenue, but you can't do it like that. You can't. You, for a spring training game, you can't do that. I mean, if I'm going to... A Red Sox game, and I'm going to pay $200. It better be at Fenway Park. I better be sitting damn near close to the field, and I better be seeing their regular players play. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm not going uh, to pay that kind of money to go see Larry Moe and Curly playing first, second, and third for the Boston Red Sox. So, you know, I-, I hope that that not everybody's going to do that, and I hope it's an aberration. But you know, I I, I fear that it's not. Um, so anyway, you know, but look, it was, uh, it was nice to see fans, the people across the country uh, in all over Arizona were just, you could almost, it was like a breath of fresh air and, you know, people had to have masks on except when they were actively eating or drinking and, you know, but you could just see the delight in people's faces that, that it was just nice to be back at a ball game. Uh, the Dodgers opened up their season, uh, spring training season, yesterday. Uh, again, uh, you know, against the uh, Athletics, you didn't see anybody that uh, of any note as far as pitchers go. Mookie Betts did play in the first game. Corey Seager, uh, AJ Pollock, you saw some of the regulars for the Dodgers, but most of them had the day off. Um, the A's threw out a lot of their regular players. It was a, a two to one game. It was a. It was a. a, a you know, not a lot of hitting going on, but again, this time of season, you usually see the pitchers are going to be a little bit ahead of the hitters as they try to get their timing down. But um, one thing that was cool yesterday, um, Trey Mancini back on the field for the Baltimore Orioles. And, of course, Mancini missed the pandemic season last year because, if you remember, uh, just prior – he had been diagnosed with stage three colon cancer. I mean, there was—he's uh, 28 years old, and there was—I mean, there was worries that you know this could be uh, fatal. Uh, and here we are a year later, after undergoing treatment, he is cancer-free, and uh, he was out there for the opening spring training game for the Orioles yesterday. Got a rousing standing ovation from the fans that were there at uh, Ed Smith Stadium. Before his first at bat, very cool. Um, went one for two in the game, but that look just the fact that he is able to play um, less than a year, eleven months after he was diagnosed uh, for a malignant tumor on uh, you know in his colon is just amazing. You know, um, so it's a great story. By the way, and I didn't realize this at the time. Uh, come to find out after he had diagnosed cancer, uh, Trey Mancini's family is uh big into the food service industry they are the owners of mancini peppers and i don't know if they're nationwide i think they are but i know they're all over the east coast i buy them quite often you can buy like their uh roasted red peppers and stuff in a jar i've been eating those for years i didn't realize it was his family and matter of fact they showed him at one point during his uh Uh, During the season last year, as he was undergoing treatment, he was actually working for his company, uh, his family's company. So uh, I I did not realize that. But, uh, again, you know, results for Trey Mancini don't matter yesterday. Even though he got a hit that was great, it was just great to be able to be back out on the field with everything that uh, he has undergone over the last 11 months uh, I watched a little bit of the Nationals-Cardinals game yesterday that uh, Major League Baseball Network had on. That was cool. Uh, that game actually went nine innings um, and uh, ended in a tie. Each team threw out, I think, like nine pitchers. Everybody pitched like an inning. Um, Nolan Arenado made his debut in a Cardinal uniform. I have to admit that seemed really strange. It looked weird not seeing him in a Rockies uniform uh, but he played third base for about half the game, went 0 for um, So, uh, And the Washington Nationals, they, they are going to be a fascinating team to watch. Blake Swihart, by the way, former Red Sox catcher, uh, started the game behind the plate for the Washington Nationals yesterday. Swihart, who at one time was uh, one of the top prospects in the Red Sox system, uh, they had teams coming, calling, trying to get them to trade him away. Red Sox always refused, and then, you know, that's one of the things about prospects. He ends up finally getting a chance with the Red Sox, and he did not do well. Now, they jerked him around a little bit, didn't have him playing catcher, tried to put him in the outfield, do different things with him. Um, Whether that contributed to it or not, or you know, who knows. Uh, But I root for Blake Swire because he's a a good dude. He's one of those guys that... uh, Always worked hard. I follow him on social media, and he just seems like a really, really nice guy. So I'm rooting for him to make the Nationals team. It's a long shot. Jan Gomes is the starting catcher there, and uh, you know, but maybe he'll have a shot at the backup job if he has a good spring. So I'm, I'm hoping for that because, uh, like I said, uh, he's one of those guys that it's hard not to root for. Uh, the Mets did not open yesterday. They will open their spring training schedule today. Uh, the Colorado Rockies have announced – that they are going to allow fans at their games this year. They got permission to have 12,500 fans, which is about 25% of stadium capacity, but they got the permission from the Colorado Department of Public Health and Environment, so that is good news. Uh, Of course, we already talked about the fact that the Red Sox are going to have fans. It's probably only going to be about 5,000 fans or so, but at this point, you take what you can get, and hopefully during the year it'll get bigger than that. There's quite a controversy going on right now in the state of Massachusetts, however. Uh, there are a lot of people that are upset at the governor who is opening up the state. Uh, Charlie Baker has just, you know, I, I guess, you know, he's, the numbers have come down there. Down here in the state of Connecticut, I think our positive test rate is, Is about two percent, and you know Massachusetts is a little bit over that. But Charlie Baker has decided that he is he is easing the restrictions on restaurants and businesses, and you know as he's talked about uh, uh, allowing fans. You know we're going to have fans at TD uh, Garden, which is great. Um, The he has decided to roll back. He's not going to allow theaters and concert halls to open quite yet. He's going to delay that, but. There's there's quite a bit of of people in the state of Massachusetts that are trying to slow things down, you know. Where in other parts of the country we seem to be trying to, uh, uh, you know, I, I think everybody's tired of it. But I, you know, we do have to be diligent. Now they uh, uh, in Indianapolis, where the NCAA basketball tournament is going to take place uh, at the end of this month, uh, Indianapolis is re- relaxing some coronavirus restrictions on bars and restaurants starting next week. Um, they are going to allow bars to operate at 50% capacity instead of the 25 starting on Monday. Uh, same thing. Uh, restaurants are going to be able to go from 50% to 75%. Um, you know, Now, they're anticipating, obviously, um, more people going to be in town. There's going to be more players, more coaches. Uh, there will be some fans because they're going to allow some fans, even though it's going to be limited. But, uh, they're trying to anticipate that, and again, you gotta hope that they're not going overboard with this. But at, you know, at some point, I'm sure everybody is saying that you know, please God, can can we just uh, get back to some semblance of normal? I saw an article this weekend; it was on Apple News, and it seemed like, and this was a, one of the more optimistic. Uh, articles I had heard in a while, you know, you see most people seem to think that it's going to be next spring. That's what a lot of the, I think a lot of the conservatives are saying next spring before we're back to normal. But this uh, article I saw on Apple news and they talked to several, you know, people that deal with, you know, viruses and things like that. And they seem to think that by the end of the summer, we may look more like things were in 2019. There still will be some mask wearing um, in certain situations, but they think by the end of the summer we may, be, we may not be at full capacity in restaurants and bars and things like that, but we're going to be getting pretty close to that. And they think by the fall that things are going to be um, back to normal. And what they said is, look, what we're probably going to see with all the vaccine out there and hopefully get to this somewhat herd immunity that the coronavirus is going to become like the flu. There's going to be a, you know, just like everybody gets the flu vaccine or not everybody, but people get the flu vaccine and people are going to get the corona vaccine every year, that it's going to be one of those things where it becomes part of our life. You know, and in a normal year, over the last, you know, couple of decades, we we lose an average of twenty five to thirty thousand people in this country from the flu, and a lot of experts think that that is where we are headed for the coronavirus. That at some point, yes, people are still going to get it, but it is going to be less infectious because more people will have the antibodies to it, and uh, they also think that. What we may see is that during flu and cold and coronavirus season, if you want to call it that, that we will get back to wearing masks. We'll get we'll, we'll start doing what Asia has been doing for years. I mean, it, it, along and through Asia, for years, if you have a cold, you wear a mask, not to protect yourself, to protect everybody else. you know And I would I'd like to think that we're going to do that in this country, but we are so self-centered in the United States. I, I wonder if that will happen. You know, I, I really do. I mean, you know, we can't get people to agree that if you're sick, you shouldn't go to work. Um, you know, as I said, you know, for the years that I was, you know, a boss, anytime one of my employees came to work sick, I sent them home. And I just simply said to them, I don't want what you have. Go home. You know, I mean, you know, and I mean, it was a little bit easier for me because I was dealing with salaried employees. It wasn't like I was dealing with people that were hourly and didn't have sick time or whatever. But still, if you have, you know, that's why people need to stop using sick time as a vacation. You know, a lot of people take sick days so they can take a vacation instead of taking it for what it's supposed to be, which is a sick day. Uh, Anyway, a couple other uh, baseball notes before we move on. Uh, The Royals signed Hunter Dozier to a four-year deal, 25 million bucks. Um, he is, uh, 29 years old. He's kind of like the cornerstone of this rebuilding franchise. Uh, going to be a third baseman primarily. They moved him around the last couple of years, but, uh, this is a guy back in 2019 had a huge year. Uh, 26 homers drove in 84 struggled last year in the pandemic year, but as I've said, didn't everybody, and you know, you just have to, you just have to flush that. So, uh, uh good signing, uh, Economical deal. If uh, if he has a solid four years out of this at $6 bucks a year, uh, the, the Royals got themselves a bargain. Uh, and we've talked about uh, the huge contract that Fernando Tatis Jr. got from the Padres, 14 years, $330 million. Some of the details have come out. The no-trade provision he has is through 2028, so it's for uh, seven years. The next seven years, uh, he has the ability to block a trade to 13 teams. So, uh, but what's interesting is the way they structured this contract, he get, he got a $10 million or he gets a $10 million signing bonus, uh, within 30 days of the approval of the contract by the commissioner's office, which should be coming any day now, but his actual salary for this year is only going to be a million bucks. It'll be 5 million next year, 7 million the year after that, uh, and 11 million in 2024. Those are the three seasons he would have been eligible for arbitration and then after that, he gets twenty million for a couple of years, and then it escalates to uh, twenty-five, and then it escalates to thirty-six for the final six seasons. So it's structured; it's a back-end heavy deal. You know, the uh, the hit on the salary cap for the Padres for the next four or five years won't be bad. It doesn't get ugly for them uh, until the second half of this contract, uh, and you know, then we'll see if. I mean, look, Tatis is going to get his money because he signed this contract. So even if the Padres at the back half of this contract decide it's too much and they want to trade him and he agrees to a trade, um, then somebody else is going to have to take that hit. And, you know, who knows? By the time we get to the end of that contract, $36 million for a top-flight player, and it might not be that bad. Uh, 29 minutes past. Yeah, we're going to take a break. Back in a minute. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. It's 31 minutes past the hour. Welcome back to the wake-up call here on a Monday morning. Um, good weekend if you are a UConn Huskies basketball fan. Both the men and the women won this week. I mean, the women won. Jeez, that's a shocker. But a solid, solid effort by the UConn men this weekend, uh, beating Marquette 80-62. to um, This is a Marquette team, by the way, that just last week went to North Carolina and beat the stuffing out of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Now, I get it that North Carolina is you know, having a bit of a down year, but they're still a team that is on the bubble for the NCAA tournament. A North Carolina is a tough place to play, uh, having been there several times for games over uh, my years working in college athletics. It's not an easy place to play with a great coach like uh, Roy Williams. Uh, that was a heck of a win for Marquette. So it makes this win for UConn look even better. And with that win this weekend, the Huskies have just about guaranteed themselves uh, a shot in the NCAA tournament. Now, in order for them not to qualify at this point, uh, they would have to lose their last two regular season games. And then they'd have to get bounced uh, early in the, uh, uh, the tournament, in the Big East tournament. Uh, that win also gave the Huskies a first-round bye in the Big East tournament. And if they can beat Seton Hall on Wednesday, they will clinch the number three seed. Uh, that's pretty good for a team that has had to deal with a lot of injuries this year, especially to uh, uh, their best player, uh, Booknight. Uh, and by the way, you know, Jay's Booknight, I hope you're enjoying it. He had a hell of a game against Marquette this weekend, but uh, he's got a handful of games left as a UConn Husky, and he'll be headed for the NBA. Uh, for next year, but he had 24 points uh, in the game against Marquette. Uh, Great game, by the way. Andre Jackson, a young freshman. He only had eight points, but he had eight rebounds, made some huge plays, very athletic. Um, R.J. Cole continued to play well, had 21 points, shot nine for 14 from the field. And the most impressive part of this game, Huskies only turned it over seven times, seven times. Uh, They held Marquette to just 39% shooting from the floor. Um, So a a great game for the Huskies. And now, according to the experts, and I'm not one of them, but according to the experts, UConn uh, chances to make the tournament have now jumped up to to 92%. I don't know who the hell figures this stuff out, but that's where we're at. But uh, uh, they are probably going to be a mid Mid-range seed, I would think, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine seeds, something like that. But uh, and really, in the fact this year that the games are all in Indianapolis, I think seedings mean even less because now it's not even like east, west, south regionals. It's it's all going to be in one place, so the tr- there's no travel. You know, it would be a little bit it'd be a little bit different if the uh, if the tournament was going to be held around the country, but since it's all going to be in Indianapolis. Uh, It doesn't matter. Of course, the women's tournament, that entire thing is going to be in San Antonio. UConn right now, again, projected as the number one overall seed. Uh, That came out yesterday. Uh, The other number one seeds were projected to be Stanford, Texas A&M, and South Carolina. However, after these uh, projections came out, South Carolina lost to uh, Texas A&M. So South Carolina loses again. So that is probably going to boot them uh, from the number one one of those number one seeds, Um, and we'll have to see who else goes in there. But it could be uh, uh, somebody like, uh, uh, you know, Ole Miss. Uh, I'm not sure, but it looks like uh, it'll be Stanford, Texas A&M, UConn, and then uh, you know who knows? Maybe Baylor. Uh, We'll have to see. But uh, projected regional right now uh, shows Arizona, Georgia, and Arkansas uh, in UConn's regional. But, again, it means so much less uh, with the tournament all going to be in San Antonio. Uh, In the game this weekend, uh, an easy win over uh, uh, Butler, 97-68. Paige Becker set a UConn record, 14 assists in the game. This freshman, I mean, she's unbelievable. She's averaging 20 points a game. Shooting fifty-five percent from the field, uh, she now has hundred and thirty assists as a freshman, the most by any freshman in school history. Uh, and the fourteen assists uh, broke the record set by Renee Montgomery and a couple of other players. Uh, so just she just continues to play better. And, and as Gino said, you know, th- we're living in a day and age where everybody it's all about scoring. How many three pointers can you shoot, right? Uh, it, it's all about how many points you can throw up in a game. Look, you know, in the NBA, guys throwing up 40, 50, 60 points a game. Uh, you know, and Paige Becker certainly can do that. We've seen that. But what's great about her is that she likes to pass the ball. I mean, yeah, yeah Saturday she had 20 points, 7 rebounds, 14 assists. You know, and as Gino said, she's old school, you know, and uh, she's only a freshman. And they're only going to get better. How about Aaliyah Edwards this weekend? The freshman center, 24 points and 14 rebounds. She was 9 of 10 from the field, 6 of 6 from the line in 26 minutes. She's only going to get better. She's only a freshman. And they have the number one overall high school prospect in the country coming to UConn next year in Azzy Fudd. By the way, one of the great names ever, Azzy Fudd. And she just happens to be uh, Paige Becker's best friend. So, I mean, you know, you feel bad for the rest of the country when uh, when these players get to uh, to UConn. It is going to be a bloodbath. You know, we're going to get in. A, and I was talking to uh, uh, Paula Giri of the Middletown Press and uh, MiddlesexCountySports.com the other day. And we were talking about women's basketball. And, you know, the fact that the women's game has gotten better the fact that we don't have just two or three teams that have a chance to win the national title, that we're probably at a point where there are 10 to 12 teams perhaps that have that ability. But, you know, with what's going on at Yucca, they have the number one and number five high school prospects from this coming class or this, this senior class coming to UConn next year on top of the huge recruiting class they already had, they all, they only lose one player this year. This team, I mean, they are going to, you worry about, well, two things. A, are we getting to a point where that talent is getting to be so localized that other teams don't have a chance. Remember, I I remember a time, remember it was UConn, Notre Dame, Tennessee, Stanford. That was it. If you weren't one of those four teams and then Baylor came in for a couple of years, but if you weren't one of those teams, you didn't have a prayer. You know, but fortunately, South Carolina and Baylor uh, and Oregon and some other schools, you know, really uh, did a good job of starting to recruit some talent to their teams. And we, we saw more competition, you know, which was great. But the problem is, is that now it appears that that might be going in the other direction. I hope not, you know, but Paul was, you know, saying the same thing. That was his fear, you know, and I hope that's not the case, but we know this (laughs) with the recruiting class, the Huskies have coming in and what they already have for the next four years, just, You know, UConn's either going to win it or they're going to be in the championship game uh, unless something, you know, barring major injuries. But the other piece of it that I worry about is that when you get a team loaded with superstars like that, can you keep everybody happy? You know, that's that's part of what I think has been going on with the Boston Celtics, for instance, in the NBA. You know, the Celtics are a 500 team right now, but they have three guys on that team that all want the basketball and all want to take a lot of shots. And I think sometimes take shots that are ill-advised because they realize if they don't take the shot when they get the basketball, they may not get it back on on that possession. And I'm speaking of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and Kemba Walker. You only play with one basketball, and when you got a whole bunch of guys that are used to firing up 20, 25 shots a game, you run the risk of guys being unhappy that they don't get it enough, don't get enough shots up, or taking or trying to do too much to stand out. You know, I worry about that with UConn. Are they going to be able to keep everybody happy? If you look at what they have coming in this next year, And what they have coming back from this year, you know, there's going to be people that are going to be sitting on the bench that could start for 95 percent of the other teams in the country. Think about that for a minute. UConn is going to be so talent-rich that the the 12th player on their bench could start for 95 percent of the other teams, other other women's basketball teams in the country. So then that becomes an even bigger challenge for Gino Oriema to keep everybody happy and to make sure everybody feels like they are a vital part of the program. And that is the risk that you run when you have that kind. but what is he going to do? He's not going to turn people away. Right. You know, so it's, it's a balancing act, you know, and I, I was thinking about this too, you know, um, Kobe Bryant's daughter, who uh, you know passed away in the the helicopter crash? She was dying to go to UConn, and she was a great player. You know now she wouldn't you know she wouldn't have been there yet, but she would have been a couple years away. You know, people gravitate towards winning programs, not just as players, as fans. I mean, why were the Dallas Cowboys America's team for so long? It's because in the 1970s, all the Dallas Cowboys did was win. Why do the New York Yankees have so many fans? Why? Because they've won the world championship 27 times. People like winners. You know. Now, granted, it's very polarizing. You either love them or you hate them. That's the thing about big winning teams. The Cowboys, America's team. I always hated the Cowboys. I still hate the Cowboys. And they're a joke now, but I still hate the Cowboys. I think it's arrogant of anybody to call themselves America's team, but that's what happens because not just players but fans all gravitate to winning programs. That's why the UConn women's basketball team has fans across the country because people want to be associated with a winner. It's just it's 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 human nature. It's t- uh, forty-four minutes past the hour. We got to take a break. We're back in a minute. You're listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to the wake-up call. It's 46 minutes past the hour programming note. We have high school basketball coming up 5.30 uh, today. It'll be Westbrook at Cromwell, a boys' basketball game. Um, We are also on the air with boys' basketball, or girls' basketball, I'm sorry, on uh, Wednesday and Thursday, so hope you can join us for that. But 5.30 tonight, Westbrook High School at Cromwell. Uh, NBA basketball from yesterday, the Celtics with a much-needed win uh, they beat the Washington Wizards one eleven to one ten. This is a Wizards team uh, that had won seven of eight games, and the Celtics. That's how this is how bad it's been for Boston, folks. With all that talent on the team, this is the first time they have won back to back games in a month. It was late January the last time they won consecutive games. Uh, Jason Tatum with a couple of big baskets in the uh, final 15 seconds to give them the win. The Celtics actually were trailing this game by five points with 47 seconds left. Um, A a great slashing basket by Tatum, uh, a turnover, another bucket by Tatum, and the Celtics managed to hang on to win, despite the fact uh, that Bradley Beal threw in 46 points uh, for the Wizards. He's been ridiculous. Uh, Russell Westbrook added 24, but uh, outside of that, uh, David Bertrand's, uh, continued his great outside shooting. He was 5 of 9 from 3. He had 20 points. But uh, the Celtics dominated the boards. Daniel Tice with a big game as well, 20 points and 9 rebounds. They played this game without Jalen Brown. That left knee has been giving him a lot of trouble, um, and he may miss another game or two. They don't play again until Wednesday against the Clippers. I would not be surprised if he does not play that game at all. Of course, Marcus Smart still out as well. Uh, Kemba Walker with 21 points for the Celtics yesterday. Uh, on seven of 17 shooting, but uh, a much needed win by the Boston Celtics. Uh, they're still sitting, folks, tied for last place in the Atlantic Division. Uh, they are now. They were the ninth seed in the Eastern Conference before winning these back-to-back games. They've jumped up to number six. But th- this Celtics team is in disarray. Danny Ainge supposedly is trying to do something. Uh, I, you know, get, look, getting Marcus Smart back will help. They need more production inside. They're relying in my mind, way too much on the outside jump shot. They are relying on Tatum and Brown and Walker to to drain outside shots, and I think that they need, you know, they just need a bigger inside presence, and, you know, we'll see if Ainge does anything, but uh, if, if, if not, oof, you know, this is a Celtics team that could get bounced in the first round of the playoffs, and they were one of the favorites to get to the NBA Finals again. Uh, hockey yesterday, the Boston Bruins with a win. They beat the... New York Rangers, 4-1. Tuka Rask, 20 saves. His 299th NFL NHL victory. Uh, Charlie Coyle with a couple of goals. Uh, Charlie McAvoy had a goal. David Pasternak with a couple of assists. Uh, that snapped a two-game losing streak for the Boston Celtics. For the Boston. How about the Boston Bruins? Uh, again, this is a Bruins team that had only uh, lost two games in regulations, uh, and they've now lost three in the last week and a half. Uh, they have actually fallen behind the Washington Capitals in the Eastern Division uh, in points. The Caps are now 12-5-4. Uh, the Celtics sit at 12-5-2. Uh, so the, uh, the Bruins will return home to host the Washington Capitals on Wednesday. Um, NASCAR yesterday. What a strange start to the NASCAR season. Three weeks, three winners, and three winners that nobody saw coming. Uh, William Byron wins yesterday. Now, it's only his second win in 111 starts. Um, You know, uh, so nobody saw that coming. Nobody obviously saw Michael McDowell and Christopher Bell winning the first two races of the season. So the playoffs, I mean, look, the, the playoffs are a long way away. But these three guys have now locked themselves into the playoffs. So with only sixteen positions available, you've got all these big names that haven't won a race yet and are going to be scrambling. Now we know that, you know, at some point this year, Kevin Harvick's going to win a race, Joey Logano's going to win a race, uh, you know, Denny Hamlin's going to win a race. You know, some of the names that we see, but we're used to seeing a handful of guys, what, five guys, usually winning multiple times a year. And, you know, you might see one outlier getting into the playoffs at the end of the year, somebody you didn't expect. We've already got three. Uh, but uh, a, a great finish to this race uh, for Byron yesterday. He controlled most of the last two stages of the race uh, and uh, gets himself in. Look, Kyle Busch right now is not in the top 16 in the standings. Alex Bowman, another guy. Ryan Blaney, guys that all qualified for the playoffs a year ago. I mean, we're only three races in. No need to panic. But one thing that we have seen is that these young kids – just don't care you know they don't really care what they're supposed to do uh byron i think is 24 years old he was like a 30 to 1 shot and he ends up uh winning the race so uh nascar a lot of fun they uh this coming sunday they will be at las vegas joey logano of course joey from middletown connecticut is the defending champion there uh golf this weekend uh wins the workday championship um he wins it uh, by three strokes ahead of Brooks Kepka and uh, Victor Hovland. Billy Horschel also uh, finished in third place with a tie with, uh, with Hovland. Um, one of the cool things this weekend, uh, many, many of the golfers at this event in Bradenton, Florida, as well as the PGA event in Puerto Rico, all wore red shirts and black pants in support of Tiger Woods. Of course, Tiger Woods, anytime he is in a tournament on Sunday, he always wears his Sunday red with a pair of black pants. And, uh, the majority of the golfers yesterday in Bradenton did that. By, by the way, Morikawa did not. Why? Cause they didn't get there. They were, <laughs> he had them shipped to him, but they uh, did not get there in time. So he uh, was not able to, uh, to join in that. But, uh, instead he decided to play like Tiger, uh, with a, with a great final round. But, uh, but it was great. Tiger Woods actually took note of it and tweeted out from his hospital bed uh, that it was uh, uh, an awesome thing, and it was uh, he wanted to, he thanked all the players and the fans uh, for what they were doing and helping him get through it. But look, Rory McElroy is one of those guys. I mean, he look, he's one of the big studs in the game now, and this is a guy that you know could could say, hey, you know, Tiger Woods, whatever he has. Been, but, you know, Rory McElroy, very, uh, very poignant. said, so, look, he said, if there was no Tiger Woods, the tour and the game of golf in general would be in a worse place. You know, we wouldn't have all the money on tour that we have now if it weren't for Tiger Woods. He's meant a lot to us. He still does. And he said, you know, he, he thought this was a great way to show that, you know, and think about it. Colin Morikawa for winning that tournament this weekend, $1.8 million to win a golf tournament. That kind of money wasn't there years ago. Tiger Woods single-handedly brought money to the PGA Tour. Advertisers and sponsors and, and fans and. And so he is a very responsible for the, where the game of golf is now. And, and I thought that was a, a nice touch by them to do that. Uh, the LPGA tour, very cool story. Nellie Corda wins the event, uh, the tournament of champions in Orlando this weekend. Well, why is that big? Because her sister, Jessica won the LPGA tour start last month at the tournament of champions. So, this weekend at Lake Nona in the uh, gamebridge LPGA, Nelly Corda wins. So sisters, both winning on the PGA Tour, very very cool. Uh, you know that's not something you see every day. But Corda uh, uh, finished uh, 16 under par in the tournament, and uh, she started with a one shot lead, and uh, her closest uh, competition kind of imploded a little bit, so she was able to coast home with a victory. So good for her. Uh, one other quick note: Irv Cross. Former analyst, former great player, actually, uh, played for the Philadelphia Eagles uh, for nine seasons and became the first black sports analyst on national television when he joined CBS Sports. And for years, he and Brett Musburger and uh, Jimmy the Greek uh, were the big uh, trio on the pregame show on CBS. Well, he died yesterday yesterday. Uh, at the age of 81 he had been suffering from dementia for the last couple of years Uh, stayed with uh, cbs uh, i think until 1989 left and eventually became uh, athletic director at idaho state and mcallister college in minnesota Uh, and uh, got an award actually from the uh, pro football hall of fame the uh, pete rosell radio television award back in 2009 but uh, irf cross passes away this weekend at the age of 81. That's going to do it for us here this morning we'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the wake up call. High school basketball 5:30 today. Hope you can join us. We're going to leave you this morning with uh, a classic from Darius Rucker Wagon Wheel. We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the wake up call on Sports Country.